This is AgriPulse Drive Time brought to you by Beringer Ingelheim Animal Health, a global leader in preventative animal health care products. Good Wednesday afternoon. I'm Spencer Chase. There is a fresh sense of optimism on Capitol Hill over negotiations on the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. A Democratic working group tasked with negotiating with the Trump administration on the deal met with U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer today. They emerged from the meeting reporting progress, and Ways and Means Committee Chair Richard Neal says only a few more meetings with Lighthizer may be necessary to work out their differences. For more on the development, check out Bill Thompson's story on agripulse.com. The list of legal actions challenging the Environmental Protection Agency's governance of the nation's biofuel mandate got a little longer today. A group of six biofuel and farm groups have filed a petition challenging EPA's August granting of 31 small refinery exemptions from the renewable fuel standard. Growth Energy General Counsel Joe Kakish says the petition examines EPA's documentation for granting the SREs. We took a look at the letter that EPA Acting Assistant Administrator and its soul wrote on August 9th. And that letter grants a very large number of small refinery exemptions. He says the industry would like more information on which exemptions were granted and why. It is very possible although we don't know because there's very little information provided in the letter, but there are some brand new refineries that are being granted these exemptions that were never granted them before. And on its face, that doesn't seem right to us. He says explanations for granting waivers should be made public. If they can justify the, the exemptions, they should also be able to show the public how they did that. He says this is the first step in a long legal battle that could lead to oral arguments happening sometime in the spring. Aside from growth energy, the petition also includes the Renewable Fuels Association, American Coalition for Ethanol, National Biodiesel Board, National Corn Growers Association, and the National Farmers Union. A Senate hearing on water infrastructure led to a call for greater federal investment. AgriPulse's Ben Nully has more. A corn state lawmaker is asking the Army Corps of Engineers to make the nation's inland waterways a higher priority. Democratic Senator Tammy Duckworth of Illinois says efficient navigation on inland waterways is key to the nation's global economic competitiveness. Every time a lock faces an unscheduled closure, freight traffic shifts to roadways and rail, costs rise for shippers, and already razor-thin margins for farmers and manufacturers are further eroded. Despite the critical nature of our inland system, it always seems to take a backseat to other infrastructure efforts. In an Environment and Public Works Committee hearing earlier today, she further pressed Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Army Civil Works, Ryan Fisher, on the Corps' ability to handle more projects if the committee increases the federal cost share for the Inland Waterways Trust Fund. Fisher said they would be able to do that. Chief of Engineers Todd Semonite agreed, but relayed caution. I do, however, if you don't increase the top line and then you fence 75% of the current budget, you're basically reducing our operating capital by about 25%. So therefore, that means things are not going to get done. So if we, if we change that cost share, I would want to make sure that we identify to the committee what's the risk you're incurring if the regular top line is the same. Currently, the Inland Waterways Trust Fund has a 50-50 cost share between federal and non-federal sponsors compared to an 80-20 ratio for highway projects. For AgriPulse, I'm Ben Nully. Finally today, a cattle industry trade group is pushing for stricter requirements for beef voluntarily labeled as a product of the USA. The U.S. Cattlemen's Association filed a petition today with the USDA's Food Safety and Inspection Service seeking to establish which beef products can be labeled as made in the USA. 
They say the lack of parameters dictating which products can bear that label could lead to beef that is not born, raised, and slaughtered in the United States, nonetheless being voluntarily labeled as though it were a product of the U.S. In a statement, National Cattlemen's Beef Association chief lobbyist Ethan Lane said NCBA understands such labeling would be concerning to producers. He said NCBA formed a working group to examine the prevalence of such practices, but he also said NCBA members are generally opposed to requesting additional government regulation, and until they understand the scope of labeling, practices currently being utilized, any rush to regulation would be irresponsible. Now, here's a word from our sponsor. Today's Drive Time is brought to you by Behringer Engelheim Animal Health, a global leader in preventative animal health care products for livestock and companion animals. From Georgia to Missouri, Iowa to Puerto Rico, more than 3,000 U.S. employees power our business. Learn more at the link in today's Drive Time email. That's all for today's Drive Time. For more agriculture, trade, environment, and regulatory news, visit agripulse.com. Reporting in Washington, I'm Spencer Chase.